The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Phenomenal weekend, yeah? I mean, it was about as warm as it could be for this time of year. I mean, it was great. I was actually, I spent time out in our backyard. It's always this time of year I start getting excited and I remember why we actually bought the house that we bought. We bought this little post-war box of a bungalow. I think bungalow is a nice way of saying a box, right? That's what they tell new homeowners. It's a bungalow. Oh, you mean a box, right? Okay. Anyways, we bought this house because of the yard. We were like, yeah, nice house, nice nice yard, right? It was, it was just flourishing. And this time of year, you start, we start getting outside. We get excited about the possibilities of what could be. And then you also get uh, depressed on what uh, isn't. I mean, it was gorgeous. And I'll just say, I'll be honest, it has only gone down every year uh, since then. We're actually going to try to do something about our, our grass because it's, uh, the yard has just gotten totally beat up. Anyways, I, I love being out there. I love to see things grow. It is a wonderful place to be. I love having people. We, we actually, it's kind of the, another room in our house. We just hang out in the back porch all summer long, and the boys run around, and, and we have people over, and we, we love it. It's great. It's beautiful. There's the, the, the fruits of that are, are wonderful. And yet, so often we you know, look around, and I go, why isn't this growing? And I get frustrated. Why is that, not, that plant not flourishing, that plant not growing? And usually, my dad, who's got a green thumb, I have none of it at all. I ask him, hey, so what's the deal? These vines, they don't seem to be, you know, they're not really... He actually planted a bunch of vines that are supposed to, like, take over our fence and be all fancy and stuff. <laughs> you know, they're about as big uh, today as the day that they were planted three years ago. And why, why, aren't they, why aren't they growing? And usually his response is, well, it takes water, plants like water. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, I think, I, I think you know, we start looking at some of the... As we think about growth, and we think about maybe growth in our own life, change in our own life, that if we start to discover who Jesus is, we hope that he will begin to bring some sort of change in our life. We hope, yes, one day, there is a hope for one day, but there's also hope that we hope it makes a difference now. I think there's analogies or metaphors of, uh, of uh, organic growth, I think, resonate with a lot of us, because you know you can't force some stuff. As much as you'd like to uh, apply your will, your will alone simply will not accomplish um, what you know needs to happen in you or what you would like to see in the lives of those that you love around you. And yet, you also know there's something to do in the midst of that. This passage that we want to look at tonight, I'm going to read for us in a moment, is one of those, it's probably the, the passage on growth and growth in, in our faith and in Christ. And, and as you know, we are joining a wider conversation uh, on the, this passage of scripture we call the Upper Room Discourse in which Jesus gathers his disciples around him and it's kind of his last instructions. He, I want to just make sure you, this is the last bit. You Don't forget this. You're going to need this. It's going to get ugly really soon and you're going to wonder if it was all true but I want, I want to remind you of some things. And so we're joining that. The wider church is having a conversation. We're doing it, doing stuff on Sundays on it. We're doing it in small groups. But we want to have a time here where we can... Uh, I, I want to introduce you to people that I deeply uh, respect and I, I think has something to add in because I have only grown as I have been in conversation in community with people but also with those who have walked before me who I feel like... Ha- or have some sort of particular insight that I think can help me understand something. And so that's what we're, we're doing here. We're hoping to add into the, the conversation. Tonight, we have the privilege of having Renee Notkin, and I'm going to ask her to come up in just a moment, but Renee and James B., 
led uh, really what this ministry was uh, before I got here. And I can't think of a more gracious pass-off. Uh, some, they passed off the baton as they headed down to Union, and I got to the privilege of, of walking with this community. It used to be down in the sanctuary. I can't think of a more gracious uh, passing of the baton than these guys have given me. They've been an incredible support, and in many ways I feel like we're trying to do the same things. Uh, just in different venues. So I, often when we get together, I feel like these are people that speak my language, and it's an encouragement to me. I know they'll be an encouragement to you as well. But before we do that, I want to re, read this passage of Scripture that has been, we're not always going to do this, but it's been becoming in some ways iconic. And for some of you, you will know this. Some of you, you might not have heard this before. So you can either open up to John 15 if you have a Bible with you. I encourage you to bring your Bibles here. Or just close your eyes and listen. And then we'll ask Renee to come up and share with us. Jesus says this to his close, close friends. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I, I also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He's kind of hitting some themes, right? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to uh, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, Renee's going to come up and share it, but I want to encourage you, there's going to be questions that come up. We're going to hopefully have a little bit of time where we can follow up with those afterwards. We'll leave hopefully some space to, 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 to go back and forth. I'll come up and join Renee. But also, I would encourage you to follow up afterwards with somebody on this, to begin to talk this out. This is how you grow. This is how we'll learn. But enough of me. Would you please welcome up Renee Nockin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, if there's two things I'm supposed to say, and I'm not known for only saying two things, but one is you really are lucky to have John Epps. Um, there's a lot of things, it's my turn to compliment you, there's a lot of things I appreciate about John, but I think one of the things I appreciate, especially about John, um, of late, 
is, you know, this is John. He looks you in the eye and he says, how are you? And you know he really wants to know. That is a gift. That is someone that you're lucky to hang around. And um, we're lucky to have here. And the other thing I want to say is we are so lucky. We are so fortunate that you come here to this particular building to worship. And that this particular space that is a representation of the body of Christ throughout the world has you here. Because you make this a better place. Your worshiping here makes this whole church a better place. And you know, what happens here on Sundays, they may not know you're here. They may not actually see you. But your being here impacts not only University Presbyterian Church, not only Seattle, but the kingdom of God in ways. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here on a Tuesday evening. Um, I have been praying for you on Tuesday evenings, and so it's really great to see how great this is. I love this. I mean, as I'm talking, I just hope you, you meditate on that tree. Meditate on it, please. Um, okay, I won't surprise you. I'm going to talk about a yard, too, because this is about growth. And in our high-tech world, maybe we just need these places to remind us to go back to the earth. So I also have a yard with lots of potential. I, off, I am one of those people that often goes to nurseries, and I... Um, look at all these plants and I think maybe if I just got all these plants and spent tons of money my yard would magically look wonderful and it is this time of year where you start to realize oh wow really the truth of my yard is the clover and moss are battling to see which one will win Um, but I know and I'm similar to John I know my yard has potential because my dad has a beautiful yard my father he's 80 years old he has one of those yards that there's such this natural order that invites you in that from this time until late fall, you know you're going to be refreshed, you know you're going to be find peace because it will bloom as the season goes forth in the way that the flowers should bloom, in the way that the plants should bloom. And there is this promise in my dad's yard of raspberries and grapes and apples and peaches and pears on these budding branches. But there is a difference between my dad and me. My dad, he's a farmer intuitively and experientially, and he takes time in his yard. He is up early, and in the summer, he is watering that yard, water, watering that yard late. But probably the biggest difference is I am a timid pruner, and he is a skillful pruner. I mean, you put... Pruning shares in my hands, and I'm getting better. But, you know, every plant meets, I think, my shears with a bit of trepidation. <laughs> what is she going to do to me? I treat every plant the same of, okay, here we go. And sometimes it works. But my dad, he greets an evergreen tree as an evergreen tree. He greets a grapevine as a grapevine. He greets an ornamental shrub as only an ornamental shrub should be greeted. And with those shears... He prunes them and creates a tree that as the sun shines and as it is watered, that tree, that plant, that vine produces fruit, produces leaves, produces blossoms that is strong and beautiful. Mine sometimes do. As I um, was pondering this and as I was even, I actually like to read about gardens because I think it's a place where I fantasize about gardens. I came across this great quote 
There is a difference between a garden and a wilderness. Without the hand of the gardener, nature is condemned to an endless battle. Our lives are a lot like my garden, my yard. Without the hand of a gardener, our lives are condemned to an endless battle. Desires fight against obligations. Priorities become all tangled. The urgent, the urgent triumphs over the enduring. This, this passage that John read so well, um, which we heard earlier as well, and maybe it's one you heard earlier on Sunday, maybe it's one you're reading together in a small group. If it is, good. You know, we go so fast, we Google so much, we have so much information going through our brain. My hope is this is a passage actually that you would let the words sink in and meditate on them every day. And let these be words that slow us down. And you think, I get this passage, and let it go deeper and say, no way, I need to get it deeper. It is a powerful passage for us as we're in this poignant season of Lent. As we're in this season of heading towards this holy week, journeying with Jesus towards his death on the cross. I always find it paradoxical that at this time in our season, as we're watching new life emerge, as we're watching crocuses and daffodils bloom and cherry blossoms come forth, that we're talking about death. And I think we need to sit in that paradox because that is the paradox of where we are. Lent actually means simply spring. That's all that fancy word means, spring. And I think the early church fathers knew exactly what they were doing when they invited us into a season of 40 days of journeying with Jesus to the cross and called it spring. Because we are journeying in the paradox of Jesus' death to the good news of life. And that's what this passage invites us to. And we sit there, we, we walk there, we sit there with the disciples who must have been befuddled, they must have been scared, they must have been overwhelmed as we're having this meal with their friend, their teacher, who is telling them he must die. He must leave. But then is saying, I will not orphan you. I will come back. And they must be going, what is he talking about? And in the midst of that, I think Jesus is brilliant. Because he goes back, after John 14, he goes back to something they know. A parable and an agricultural image. He with his brilliancy, he brings, in John, in John we see, he brings to a climax in some way. I don't know if I'd say climax, but he brings us to the last of these great I am statements, right? I mean, in this, Jesus has already said, um, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. And now, in this very, I wonder, almost comforting way, in these, as John said, these last urgent words where Jesus is saying, I want you to know how much I care for you, how much you matter, and how essential you are to this story. He gives us this image that's of, of the vine. I am the true or genuine. I think it's good to think of that word as genuine. I am the real deal, is what Jesus is saying. I am the real deal vine. There is none other. And my father... My father is the vine dresser, the farmer, the gardener. If you go to the King James, it says the husbandman, I think. Using this common image of the vine, 
I just, I wonder what those disciples think. For we, we have to pause. We have to go. We, we have to pause and let ourselves be back in the realities of the earth. Perhaps even for these disciples it was powerful because in Jerusalem, the temple was known for having these clusters of grape that, that the historian Josephus says were as tall as a human being. They were such luxurious grapes. So this image of fruit may have been very powerful in the city of Jerusalem. It's also an image that's important for these people because it's an image God used often for the people of Israel. If you go to the prophet Jeremiah, for instance, um, the prophet says, using God's words, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? So often, God speaks of them as you're my choice vine, but you couldn't stay true to me. And now Jesus is saying, I'll stay true. I'm the one. I'm the one who stays true. So as he's heading to this cross, as Jesus is about that evening to be arrested, he is giving them this powerful message, and us, this powerful message that as he goes to break the binding, the binding grip of death, um, to restore them and us to an ongoing relationship with the Godhead, Jesus wants them to know that he is the source of life. He is the sustenance of life. There is no other. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide, um, that word abide, meno is translated as abide, remain, stay, live. Those who sink deep in me, you will bear much fruit. Not just a little. Not just a trial amount till you prove your worth. You will bear much fruit. It does come, this message, and if you've got your Bibles or if you think back, it's in verse 5. I just want you to get that in your head. This is a key verse, verse 5. It does, does come with a warning. Jesus wants to make sure that the disciples understand the life and death matter of what he speaks. He does say, if a branch chooses not, not to be in the vine, not to be what it is, a branch... If the branch thinks it can become its own vine, Jesus does say, don't be fooled. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Short, clear, concise. Thinking of gardens, it does make me think of a hose. It makes me think of a garden hose. That if you have a garden hose and it is taken from that faucet, maybe there's a little bit of water that will still trickle through. But without being connected to that faucet, that garden hose doesn't do much, does it? There's not much that can purpose of that garden hose without being connected to that faucet. I mean, you could blow air through it, I suppose. You could whip it around. But the purpose of a garden hose is to have that water rush through to nourish whatever it is that it has the opportunity to nourish. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you get to be connected to life and having life flow through you. Don't disconnect. Don't disconnect and think you can do it on your own. But what I love about this passage is he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay in the, whoa, there's doom. Pay attention to the doom. He's like, now let's focus on the good news. Let's focus on what it means to be connected to God. Let's focus on what it means to 
know who you are. Let's focus on the fact that, on what it means, what your purpose is. And that is that you are to be fruitful beings. Now, I don't know if you go through each day thinking, I hope I can be fruitful today. That isn't language we necessarily use. But as we look at this passage, I hope it's inviting to you. What does it mean? What does it mean for you and I to bear fruit? I think we have to pause before we can even answer that. Because I think still we can go, hmm, I don't know. What do I even want to? I mean, it might even sound kind of um, fruity. Like, what do I do with that? I think we have to go back and ask a deeper question. Because actually the deeper question of this passage is, are you willing to trust the gardener? Are you willing to trust the gardener? Will you, will we stay connected to this Jesus who invites us to abide in his word? This Jesus who reflects to us the true image of the tender of our souls, our creator and Lord? Will we allow our lives to come under the precise pruning shears of the gardener? I used to absolutely dislike the pruning part of this passage, and so I'd skip it. Because I like the fruit part. Personally, I like the fruit part. And so I'd think, this is a great passage. This is a great passage that encourages us that we'll bear fruit. And so I don't need to read about the pruning because, um, well, I just didn't want to read about it because it didn't, I didn't like it. And as I pondered this and I thought about it, and as I have been a recipient of my dad's wonderful yard, of sitting there and enjoying the fruits of my father's yard, I realized you can't understand fruit unless you understand pruning. God's pruning is better than the alternative. Because the reality is our lives get pruned no matter what. Our lives, or they just get messed up. The reality is that our lives are either growing inward and tangled and there's a mess of stuff in it. Or our lives are overwhelmed with guilt that we can't handle. And so we seek escapism. Or our lives are exposed by this cruel world that would love to say, look at that. I was reading in um, a magazine this week about one of the politicians who got caught in political scandal. I'm not going to tell you which one because there were quite a few last year. But one of the politicians that that got caught in scandal last year was quoted by saying this. This was in response to all the intense public scrutiny. He said, There are powerful people who have and who will continue to do a lot to bring me down. Does it change the reality of what I did? Absolutely not. But everything that is bad about me is now invisible for the entire world to see and discuss. I feel like I'm in the Truman Show. Maybe you are not in such a public position where you'll be exposed in such a way. But we still know the reality that we live in a world that is rarely kind to our mistakes and our shortcomings. And what's sad is so often it's God that we run from. It's God that we run from because we think God's the one that's going to be cruel and harsh. But what Jesus is telling us so powerfully here and in other, really so many places through the Gospel of John, but really in such a beautiful way here, is that Um, while we may not like the discipline God brings, while we may not like this idea of being pruned, 
the life-giving truth is that God is never cruel or malicious. As Jesus reveals, God is the source of life and God's work in our life is never to bring us down. God is never about bringing us down, only about lifting us up. And so the challenge is, will we learn to trust this God who knows us? Will we trust that he wants to know us more? Will we welcome his pruning? This image of the vine, the grapevine, I don't know if any of you, have any of you have grapevines, grow up around grapevines? I grew up in eastern Washington. Okay, great. Okay, then you can appreciate grapevines. The beauty of a grapevine is that grapevines in winter really have to have the dead branches all cut away. And I think so often this image here is so powerful for the new fruit to bloom, to grow forth. And, you know, there is stuff in our lives that is deadening, that is self-destructive, that is the not-us. The beauty of what Jesus is saying here is what God's really desiring is to say, that's not who I created you to be. Can we just kind of whittle that part away? Can we kind of say, let's, let's cut off this part that's the not you, so that the you, you can come forth. Sometimes God's pruning in our lives is really, um, it's with clippers. It's gentle, it's kind, it's tender. Sometimes I think we don't recognize it because we expect it to be harsher. It's that time when you, ha- you walk away from a conversation and you have that sense of, did you really need to say that about that person? Did you really need to gossip in such a way? Are you feeling that bad about yourself? Clip. Gulp. That isn't me. Sometimes it's the thoughtlessness says that God says, did you mean to be that way? Or do you really want to be this way? Sometimes the pruning is more severe. Because there is a sucker, and I mean a branch, not a person. But there is a sucker in our lives. Do you know what these suckers are? They're those, those branches, those early branches that they rob all the nutrients from a tree. And they start growing. And they take from what is where the tree should be going. I know this because we had a cherry tree in our yard that had one of these suckers gone wild. And we don't take blame because it had already become more of a branch than it should before we move in. So I always say, it's my fault. But it was, it was okay. It was this cherry tree that when it was in bloom, that one branch, it, it dominated actually. But it went into the yard and we kind of ignored it. But it was really made the tree out of balance. And it was this branch that was just out there. And it was getting bigger and stronger, distorting the tree. But it was okay. Well, in one of those windstorms, in last winter, when it was really windy, sure enough, that branch, that sucker, broke off and split the tree. Because it had taken over that tree. And I look at that tree that now looks kind of naked. And I was, that is so often my life with an addiction or an obsession or something that takes over. And I am like this. Maybe you are, but I feel like this. There is something that is so consuming for me. I am off balance. I I was this way recently with somebody who I felt had done me wrong. She wasn't being fair. and actually wasn't really being fair to my son. And that's, let me tell you, when someone is a family member, don't you think sometimes that's the worst? Or a dear friend, when you think somebody is doing something you care about wrong, I was obsessed about this. I couldn't sleep about it. I just kept thinking, 
this woman makes me mad. And I was becoming like this. And it's actually been being in the Gospel of John where we hear over and over again, love as I've loved, love as I've loved. And I thought, you know, I've got to send this woman an email and just say, thank you for trying, thank you for who you are. You know what, she comes back, and she comes back and starts opening up her heart to me and telling me about things that are hard in her life. And I think, oh, there's such a bigger picture. There's such a bigger thing. And I do feel like that's part of that obsession got wiped away and I can stand firm again and be more the person I am more the person I am who desires to be thinking of people as human beings and not looking at them as problems what I love about this pruning image as I look closer at it is that what it tells us is that God so longs to prune us, clean us the words are very close in Greek so that we can grow sound and strong and grow into the people God wants us to be, responding to the light of his love. But what I also like about this is that there is a uniqueness in the way that God prunes us. He doesn't prune us all the same. There isn't one God method. I, we see this actually in the way that Jesus treats his disciples. How Jesus is with Peter, direct sometimes needing to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Loving, yes. I mean, the way he responds in John 21, loving, yes. But direct is very different than how he is to an Andrew who needs more kindness, more gentleness, or a Thomas who just needs a practical approach to life. And that is how God is with us. There are some of us who have, who have a need to be pruned in such a way that will get our attention, and some of us, God knows he needs to be like a gentle wind in our lives. I love that about God, that God treats us uniquely. Why? To help us become who he is. But the other thing that I think is really important about this pruning that God does is he never does it to shame us. And if there are things going on where you think, is this God? I think a great way to ponder that and ask that is to ask, what is this doing to my soul? As I am feeling convicted, as I am being aware of things in my life that maybe aren't right, am I being drawn to know God more, or am I being brought down in a hovel? And the reason I bring this up is because I think sometimes God does work through people. His voice comes through people. One time we had, our ten, when our, son, our oldest son was 10, I felt like God spoke through him to draw me to my knees and make me realize a place where I wasn't being who I thought I should be. But I've also been in situations where I've had people say to me, and maybe you have too, they said, the Lord is telling me this isn't right in your life. You really need to get your act together in this area. Is that something where, as you take it to God yourself, you can hear God saying, you know, to be the you I created you to be, yes, there's some changes you can make. Or if it's putting you into a place of more shame and distress, then I would challenge you to say, hmm, that may not be of God's voice. The promise is that when we trust the gardener, he is doing something magnificent in our lives. He is bearing fruit in our lives. Now, fruit, you could go, what does that mean? I want to say four things about fruit, and then I'm going to call John up to just talk about this together. The first thing I want to say about fruit is that while he was talking about grapes, 
we know that there's lots of fruit. And I would challenge you, when you hear this picture of fruit, you picture all the fruit you could imagine. Fruit is tasty. Fruit is not bland. So often people think of Christians. I mean, I think this is the challenge in a city like Seattle. They think, oh, you're a Christian. That means you must be really boring. I mean, there is this feeling out there that we're bland, that we're all the same, that we spout off the same messages. Fruit is tasty. A banana does not taste like a kiwi. A cantaloupe doesn't even taste like a watermelon. There is such variety, and it is, it is inviting. Think about your favorite fruit. Fresh, maybe right off a of vine. There is nothing, almost nothing, like putting your teeth into an apple, peeling that clementine and eating it. That's what Jesus says he's doing in our lives. He is creating within us this inviting life that draws other people in. Secondly, fruit takes time to grow. It is not manufactured. It isn't that you push a button and plop. There's a strawberry. There's a perfectly formed orange. What is happening in our lives is that God is growing things. And it is, we may get impatient because you think, but I'm not who I want to be yet. But the promise is, as we seek to know Jesus, he is doing something that is abiding and will last, and it takes time. And that's why we need each other. Because there are times when we don't see it in each other. We don't see what God's doing in one another's life. And we need to tell one another, this is what I see in you. And finally, um, I guess I said this, but I want to highlight it again. It's just, not only is it tasty, but it comes in a variety of shapes and colors. Um, Listen again to the fruits of the Spirit that were read earlier. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are life-giving fruits that come forth from our life. But how they are displayed may look different in us. I have a sister who is very direct. I'm not as direct. You could say she's like a tart lemon. And I can maybe be a sweet strawberry, maybe sometimes too sweet. In her mind, I don't think so. Recently, my dad, who's 80, who has this amazing yard, also decided that he was independent, that he was going to drive down to California to a memorial service. And I said, are you sure? You really want to do that? You're really going to drive? You could fly. My sister says, that is the craziest thing I ever heard of. Well, they, did, they didn't drive. They flew. Um, God works through both of us. But my style, her style, very different. That's what I mean when we are not the same. We need to celebrate that in one another, and we need to see that in one another. We are not Christian clones doing a Christian chorus line. We are unique individuals created to use our gifts and talents. Abiding in Christ, fruitful lives. Does it sound a bit spiritual and feel like still like, how do I sink into this? I'm confident that in this passage, one reason why Jesus emphasizes this love, love as I love, love in the sacrificial way, is because he wants to make sure we don't see this as just this kind of mountaintop high experience. I was recently with a woman um, to hear a, a well-known speaker, and um, he was talking on the Holy Spirit. He was quite inspired, seeing, and it was good to hear him. And after he was finished, this friend went up to him with her burning question. And she said to him, 
how can I become a more spiritual person? This is a man in his late 70s who'd been teaching the Bible for his whole life. And he paused, and then he said simply, Trust God's love for you, and then go out and find someone who is unlovable and love them. Find someone that's unlovable and love them. Because that will be the first thing that will draw you to your knees and help you to realize that to go forth in life, it doesn't go forth by saying, I am going to go today and be the most joyful person I can be. As soon as, I don't know about you, as soon as I say that, I feel like the first things out of my mouth are criticism. Like, why did you do that? But if I start my day saying, Christ, I want to rest in you. I want to know you. And I want you to lead me forth in this day. Surprise me. Surprise me with the ways that you will bear fruit in this world be through my life. It is amazing what you see. Because Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So will we trust? Will we trust that as we seek to know Jesus, Jesus reveals to us the heart of the gardener, the heart of our Father, that he prunes only as needed to get away the stuff that's not us, to be more the people we are. And as he does, he creates fruit in this world that is tasty, that's unique to who you are, that is lasting, that invites people in. I invite you to seek to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and to spend time resting in Jesus' presence, to stop and to listen and to ask Will you trust that your life matters? Will you trust that in ways you can't even see, you are bearing fruit in this world that is counter to the evil we hear about, to the violence we hear about, to the destructive things around us? As you trust in Jesus, your life counters that and brings glory to God. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, in this time of spring, in this time of new life, and is this time as we approach this paradox of your death, which is our only way to life through your resurrection, I pray that you know, you know what people are dealing with here. You know the struggles. You know the hopes. I pray you would meet each person in a powerful way that you would reveal to us the places where we need to trust you more, where we need to stop and we need to pause and we need to listen, that we wouldn't be afraid of the places that you're working in our lives to shed away that which isn't us. I pray that you would remind us that you are the one who is the tender of our souls. In your son's name, amen.